Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Um, Today we are going to talk about pharmaceutical company stocks and their um, underperformance of the broad-based market despite the recent headlines of um, uh, COVID-19 vaccines. We're going to discuss goals and uh, goals-based planning, goal-setting exercises, and how beneficial we think they are or are not. And finally, uh, we are going to talk about an article that was written a couple years ago um, from a doctor who indicated he hopes to die at 75. So we're going to talk about death and um, longevity and, and what life really looks and feels like at that age and beyond. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 41 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. You guys probably know this already, but I'll share it with our listening audience in case they didn't know. Do you guys know that the color of a hot dog is really like whitish grayish? I did know that. I feel like I knew that. You feel like you knew it? (laughs) Yeah. Like they add preservatives and nitrates and nitrites to it to make it like... Oh, nitrites. Yeah. To make it that like pinkish hue because it, I mean, would you eat a hot dog if it was like gray? No, but I also don't eat like pinkish hot dogs. Like I went to like a dollar dog night at Citizens Bank when I was in high school and was like saw just one of those like human sized trays of hot dogs wrapped in foil and was completely disgusted. Yeah. Like... I think it was the most food in one place I've seen at one time and thinking that humans were going to actually consume them was so off-putting to me. I haven't had a hot dog since. I mean, it is a assortment of ears and buttholes and stuff like no, that. No, right? it's it's like turkey and pork and like all mixed in. That's like what makes up a hot dog. It's not like pig ears. It's pork, turkey, it's... But I mean, technically a pig ear is pork, right? I guess the ear is. So how about Joey Chestnut, who won... Oh, I can't talk about this. It makes me want to, like, dry heave. He ate 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes. (laughs) Let me me give you the the nutritional information on that. In 10 minutes, he consumed 9,620 calories, 888 grams of fat, and th- over 35,000 milligrams of sodium. That's like unbelievable to me. What about the protein, right? We got we got pig in there, right? Yeah, there's got some I, you good, know some positives. I guess there's some be. positives. When they when they dunk the roll, <laughs> oh, and they put gross. a soggy roll. Oh. <laughs> like it's I got disgusting. I got onto this it like hot dog disgusting. kick and like I found a lot of like interesting facts like choking is the 19th leading cause of death in the United States. With 17% of food-related choking deaths 
attributed to hot dogs because of the shape of them. They kind of fit in your esophagus like perfectly to choke you. So what was your excuse on the arugula today at lunch? Dude. <laughs> you know how like arugula is like really thin? I think it just like laid on my throat and just stayed there. I'm going to have to cut so much of this out. <laughs> um, I was really more intrigued by the whole hot dog conversation. I'm not a hot dog eater. Like if I eat a hot dog a year, that's about my average. I just don't enjoy them. And the yeah. article was talking about like how many like how dangerous it is for little kids because like yeah. and you've got to make sure you cut them up and like peel the skin off if you're really a crazy adult parent um but how much like we as americans like how many hot dogs like we eat so many hot dogs i just can't i don't understand why because normally if there's a hot dog there's a hamburger alternative and people choose hot dogs over hamburgers I mean, I got to admit, I've been at barbecues and I've thrown down a dog and a burger just because, like, if you're really super hungry, a dog, you know, at the turn playing golf, you something quick, you grab a dog, it's 30 seconds, and then you're good to go for the next, you know, nine holes. They're so disgusting to me yeah, that I will, like, I think the only time I will eat a hot dog, and again, it's like once a year, I'm not lying about that, is like... If I'm ravenous yeah. and I'm on the beach and I don't feel like walking back to the house to get anything and somebody's running the Lou Dogs. Lou Dogs might be my one exception, but I truly believe I've not had a hot dog since high school. Like, and I'm 31. So how have hot dogs survived the whole, you know, whole foods, healthy? A lot of parents will not feed hot dogs to their kids for for those reasons, how, how are they still around? Just ball games? I think I think there's a lot of parents, like a lot of kids, eat hot dogs. In fact, it is the leading cause of food-related choking deaths <laughs> in children under the age of three. Oh, yeah, wow! That's statistic. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know you were going to go children under three. I wouldn't have laughed. Yeah, you were you were dying. You were like bent over dying. Don't say dying. <laughs> Um, uh, they're just so easy, man. They're so easy. They're like chicken nuggets, right? You just boil yeah. them or throw them in the they're microwave. Cheap, they're easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. inexpensive. They're easy, and kids and, like them because they're horrible for you. Nathan's, right? Which is literally just hot dogs, is alive and well, right? Oh my god, yeah. Ballpark Hatfield. There's so many hot dog like companies. Yeah, I don't like this conversation. <laughs> All right. All right. That was my fun fact. Okay. Philly sports. We just want to get the birds out of the way since uh, they stink. Do, should we even like recognize the birds? Should we just like yeah, move on? Yeah, because it's Philly sports and, you know, it's been our MO. I was on record a few weeks ago saying I think they're like going to turn it around. Yeah. And they may have, because that was like the game I think when I predicted they beat the Niners. Mm -hmm. and they Which you would not let us live down, by the way. They have been so bad since that game. Now, granted, they beat Dallas since that game, and they're still number one in our division, which is unbelievable. And it's one of those years where, like, just watch. Like, they're so bad. They can't do anything right. They'll end up rattling off, like, three wins at the end of the year, win the division at, like, seven, whatever, and one, and, like, we'll be excited about them in the playoffs. I think they'll get into the playoffs and win a playoff game just because 
That's well, why not? How this works. And then they'll get annihilated following that. And it'll be, yeah, you're right. We'll be excited for like three weeks and then it'll be done. I'm at the point where I'm angry with them. Like I'm upset with the team. <laughs> I really am. I'm upset with Doug. I'm upset with the, like with Howie Roseman. Like I'm upset with the whole organization. The fact that we, Deshaun Jackson doesn't play. Alshon Jeffrey doesn't play. We have no receiver. We have like, I'm upset they're all hurt. Like, so I'm upset with the conditioning coaches. Like, I'm upset. Like, how is this team so injured and, like, non-contact injured a lot? The fact that, like, Carson Wentz is so inconsistent. He has zero time to throw the ball. So I'm angry at the at the offensive line. I'm angry at his receivers who have no idea how to run a route. Like, in football, and I'm sure you guys know this, but, again, I'll educate our audience. Like, it's up to the receiver and the, and the quarterback to dissect the coverage. So when they get up to the line, it's an option. Like the receiver looks at the coverage and goes, oh, he's playing off, so I'm going to do a short route. Or he's playing me tight, it's going to be a go route. And they clearly, I think a lot of his, these receivers are so young and they have no idea what they're doing. They stop and do like an, a, a quick out. And like Carson's throwing them the ball downfield. And Carson looks like an idiot. And we're like, dude, he sucks. And granted, he's made his share of bad plays. But I think there's a handful, if not a majority, where it's like he's got no time to throw the ball. And these kids don't know what the hell they're doing out there. So I'm just frustrated with the, every aspect of the team. Except for like Boston Scott, who the kid touches the ball and he gets like eight yards every time he freaking touches it. He looks exactly like Darren Sproles. Just give him the ball every play. Sorry. Did we accidentally put on the uh, 610 WIP, WIP <laughs> call, Actually, caller? None of that was from WIP. None of that. <laughs> no, but so, it sounded like you belong right yeah. there, right at home. And you know Jeff what? from Chester County. Yeah. And Mike Missinelli Mike would have been like, dude, great call, Jeff. <laughs> Spot on. So I'm I, I'm over the birds, too. I don't know that we have to like belabor that. It's just interesting because when the Sixers suck and when the Flyers suck, I don't know that I've ever described myself as angry. I think I, and I know I am definitely like the rose-colored version for the three of us of always trying to be too optimistic, but I don't think I get angry. Why do you think you get angry? I, I, I know exactly why I'm angry. Oh, okay. I know exactly why I'm frustrated and, and like, and I, I explained this to you earlier, but you didn't connect it. So when the Sixers are bad, they play every other night and you're like, dude, they just suck. Like, the Sixers suck. Like, we all know that they suck. And there's nothing... Sucked. Yeah. Like, there's... You know what you're going to get, and there's no anticipation. The Eagles play once a week. And sometimes, there's a bye week. So, you you have to wait. So, they lose a game, and it takes three or four days. It goes away. And then, like, you start creeping up your excitement. And you're like, all right. It's almost Sunday. We got football, baby. And there's nothing else on. No other sports. And, like, you forget that they sucked. You forget that they sucked. <laughs> because, like, no one – we haven't forgotten they've sucked. But then it's always, like, at least with me, it's, like, any given Sunday. Like, you'll, you'll – but you'll watch football. <laughs> you'll watch football on Sunday. And a team that shouldn't beat another team does. And this year, especially in this division, like, that matters. Like, if they just win one more game this year, they might win the division. Right. So that's what, and so, and then, like, I see there's talent there. Yeah. And 
when that talent isn't playing the way it should play, when you have coaches that I don't feel like are calling their guys out, like, dude, you got to step it up. Like when you get post game, yeah, Carson played like dog shit today. Like call your guys out, dude. It's exactly my beef with like Brett Brown and not calling out Ben and not calling out Joel. Like we don't need like coaches that pussyfoot around their players in this Why? town. Wait a minute. Now I got to step in. There's a lot to be said for a coach that has their players back and doesn't throw them under the bus and pro- for the media, specifically for the media and the fans who want to see the anger and all that stuff. There's a reason that coaches act a certain way a lot of times, and that's I think a lot of players appreciate that. They don't need that. They know they played like shit. They don't need the coach to tell the, a, a room full of idiots with microphones that Carson sucked. So I, I, I'm, I'm on the other side of that one with you. I disagree. I mean, I, I mean, how many times can he get up there and say, "Yeah, well, you know, it's not all on Carson." Like, and Carson, you don't think Carson hears that? Andy Reid used to do the same thing, and people hated him for that. And a lot of coaches do it. You know, like I got to be better. That's on me. That's on me. They're they're trying to deflect what what's a lot of pressure already on these guys, and a lot of criticism. They don't need to be piled on by their coach. I don't think they need to talk after games. For, like, like I don't like that whole thing. I agree. So, yeah. but I'm th- but my thing it. is like if you're gonna if you're gonna be required to talk, to at least just tell the truth. Yeah, we sucked today all around, and it doesn't have to be like Carson, but like we sucked today all around. I can't make calls. Rager can't catch pa- or wide receivers can't catch passes. Carson can't read a defense. Like we suck, man. We need to get our shit together. Although if you do, if you're forced to do that week after week by the league. I mean, there's a point in time when you just wanna. You want to get that damn thing over with as soon as possible and get off the podium and move on. You know, I I, I feel for the coaches in all the sports that have to do that because some of them are entertaining. Very few that are. I'm thinking about a couple of hockey guys that you you guys don't know, but that are hilarious because they don't care. Yeah, they'll they'll call the reporter who asked a stupid question a complete moron. By the way, they are the biggest morons. Yes, in the entire field of sports is these people that. Have all this time to come up with a question and yes. that this is the best you can come up with. But that's a whole nother subject. Anyway, I hear you, but, but I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the coaches. I, I am too. And I I think the coaches, unfor- like they have it easier than the players. Like the play- like Carson just got shit on, was physically assaulted for four quarters, you know, turned the ball over however many times. And then he's expected to get up there and answer questions. I'm not like I'm not making excuses and I know that has nothing to do with like the way they play, but the shit that they say to us afterwards, I think it's just like I, I it should be irrelevant. And I I mean obviously it's not, but it should be. And Carson's pretty good at it. Like he gets up and he says, It's on me. Like I gotta do it. Yeah. Now, now I've heard clips of him post conference from like every week this year. All the same shit. Same thing. Yeah, but like guys like Seth Joyner get on him because he's not emotional enough. Like, okay, Seth, you were the most emotional player in history, and that's fine. That's you. Some players like Wentz are not. They're not going to sit. They're going to be accountable, but not accountable enough, in your opinion. Come on, everybody's handles it differently. Uh, he's Joyner's kind of a douche. I don't. I wouldn't call him a douche because I like him, but he's, I like him too. He's definitely like passionate. That's for sure. For sure. He brings the passion. And I don't disagree with him, dude. Like, I love it. Especially if you're a player in Philly. Like, get up to the podium and be like, dude, I'm effing pissed. We suck this year. We should be leading this division. Dude, the Giants. There was a guy on the Giants, a player, 
who got interviewed after that game last week. And he said, we're out here practicing, man, in the rain, in the cold. He's like, the Eagles aren't. They're not working as hard as us. Like, dude, you just got called out by a bad team and a bad player. Like The Giants have nothing to lose. Like, And I would, I guess the Birds don't <laughs> either. I, I don't know. I just – it's every week, dude. Like – I feel like it's unfair to expect that kind of physical exertion from them and then that emotional exertion. Like, they're fucking humans. I I just think it's unrealistic to, like, have somebody get that down after every week because then how how do they move on? And, yeah, you're, you're right. And to your earlier point, Jeff, it's once a week. Everybody gears up for it, not just the fans and the players, but the media and the people whose job it is to cover them. They're dying for sound bites. They're dying yeah. for something to write about other than the usual. And when they don't get it, they get pissed and they write about maybe how, you know, apathetic Carson yeah. is about. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, I, if they could get rid of all the postgame stuff, I think it would be a win for everyone. Now, we're obviously out. So yeah, we, we feel are the out. way we feel because we could not care less about the result of the rest of the season. You feel differently, which is where your passion is displayed so that's fine yep but i feel this way about like any team that's you know expected to stand on him like oh do you remember that play you made in the third quarter <laughs> right. what you were you the thinking there? what'd you see there 50 feet out of bounds it's like no jim i don't know i'm so like i i just think the whole thing is i just unfair. remember as a kid growing up watching players on on the Eagles and on other teams that would be emotional at the podium. Like, good and bad. Crying, like, tears because they lost the game. Tears because a, a, a teammate got injured and done for the season. And as a Philly sports guy, like, I, I appreciate that. And I think what Joyner is saying is, like, this city appreciates that. What they don't appreciate is you just, like, I got to do a better job every week. Like, the Andy Reach. We hate that. Mm-hmm. And I think you can be emotional and you can be honest without throwing people under the bus and and appealing to the fans of the city and i understand you like why do they have to appeal they don't have to but yeah they're human but i don't fucking care you make a hundred million dollars dude like if if you have to do something outside of your comfort zone to make your fans more loyal to you then do it that's what you're getting paid for i know you guys hate that but (laughs) i really do feel like you're getting paid millions up and you're living a dude you play football for work are you kidding me play the game play like i mean like the post game play, play the, that yeah that's what i was gonna say though now you're now you're you're requiring the post game to be a certain act and a certain persona that may not exist in certain players you know then fake people. it then fake it <laughs> it's part of your job but dude right, you're no not- one's telling them how to like they're coached on every aspect of their physical game and then they are left to their own devices. Like there's not somebody who's like, "Oh, this is how you do an interview." Oh, yes there are. Not, they're coached on that. Absolutely. They not beyond their rookie year, dude. They're not. And and it's it's how is it like we would never and money aside, we would never be expected to do things outside of our lane well or to perform Absolutely. Them for I disagree other people. 100%. You host a client event somewhere, in, at some level, there's a bit of an act. At some level, a you're client, not 100% yourself. A client event is our clients. Like that's We're their we clients. Do. We pay their salary. No. We buy tickets. No, no that's dude. five steps removed from what you're talking about, I think. 
And can you just imagine how how much these these guys have to bite their tongues when you get some dweeb who's never played beyond sixth grade any competitive sport grilling him and being super critical and not having any clue at the level and the speed and the skill that this sport is played and, and questioning them on a decision or a play. It's insane. Then just say that. Look at you, dude. You're five <laughs> six. You weigh you 140 can. pounds. Like, you don't can. talk to me about you I shouldn't can. have made that throw. Like, yes, I can. No, because that's when you get canceled in social media right. because you were a dick to Jim, the sixth grade star. Like, it, you can't do it that way. You can't be an asshole. Because we, we can be to them, right? We can say the worst things to them about their wife, their kids, and their family. But then they react poorly to one interviewer's stupid question and they are crucified. It doesn't work both ways. I'm not referring to them getting heckled and like obscenities thrown about their about their family. No, but I'm not I, talking about that. I'm talking I'm, about post game. That's your that's your that's part of your job. But to Mike's point, like the the dumb questions that are asked, they can't react the way you're telling them to. They can't say you're an idiot and don't know what you're talking about. They can about. react better than saying I got to do it better. Like Bill Belichick, dude, like and Andy Reid, like I don't appreciate the way they hold post-game conferences. So are they going to hold Belichick out of the Hall of Fame because he was a shit? No, of course not. Guy? Of course not. He wins. Yeah, except he for this wins. Year. And that's what he focuses his time and energy on, not how should I act. I need to I need to like rehearse my post-game comments better. Like no, I don't care about that at all. You do, but I don't. None of this is making, by the way, it has nothing to do with Philly sports. Yeah, we have to move on to the Sixers because they actually yeah. have some exciting stuff there. Um, the draft occurred. We had some trades. Free agency opens today at 6 p.m. A lot of activity, a lot of excitement. Is the um, is the Harden is is Harden done? No, he hasn't signed. Anywhere. He hasn't signed anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's still a possibility that Ben might get moved from no. James Harden. No, that's not a possibility. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think so. Only because. They traded Josh Richardson with a pick to get Seth Curry, and Josh would have had to be a packet, like part of a deal. Harden's not going straight up for anybody, so there has to be more incentive for the Rockets to let him walk. And you do Ben and draft pick, and I don't have any more picks. <laughs> they don't have any more picks. No, nah, they pick, so they traded I mean, like a pick. next year. Like, can't you trade future picks? Yeah, you can't. I'm- so. They traded Josh Richardson and a pick for Seth Curry, which is awesome. They unloaded Al Horford's insanely expensive contract, um, traded him and like maybe two picks <laughs> um, to Oklahoma City for Danny Green. And then they drafted a kid out of Kentucky. Tyrese. Maxi, who people are very excited about. I don't, I couldn't, I don't think I watched it any college basketball last year so does kentucky traditionally produce like non-nba worthy players no no they They traditionally produce nba ball players yeah which is a great thing yeah yeah. having this kid i think it's a great pick yeah the they're they're the school that people like guys go to to play a year and leave and i'm not necessarily saying like nba all-stars but I mean, there's a lot of them. There are, but but they produce quality players. Yeah, 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 agreed. And people are just super excited that he, f- like, fell to 21. I mean, he's being called, like, the like a steal at, like, being able to get picked up that late. So, I mean, this, in reality, keeps Bennett one. 
you go Seth at two, Danny Green at three, Tobias moves back to the four where he's better than he is at the three. Um, he's playing for Doc, who he played very well for in L.A., and then you have Joe in the middle. So, I mean, the things that Sixers fans have been asking for in shooters to spread the floor is what So, who is our number? I mean, I'm happy with it. Let me preface with that. We have a mm-hmm. decent starting five now. Mm-hmm. We have some pieces around Ben and Joel. Who's our number one shooter? Seth. Oh, really? Yeah. Seth led the league last year in three-point percentage. Led the league. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, game on the line, fourth quarter, who's taking the shot? So if it's a shot... Who's taking the shot? Well, so that's, Danny Green or is it Seth? If it's a shot, that's <laughs> why I'm like... So, like, Jimmy was the guy who would have the ball in his hand and he could, you know, go to the basket, he could pull up. Like, if it's that... We don't have that. We still don't have that. But... We might get it? Probably not. No. It's, it's going to be... You're going to get the ball into Embiid, and if they double him, which is what they've done in the past, then Seth gets the shot, or Danny Green gets the shot. So, it, I mean, it's huge in that regard, because it allows Joel to maybe be that end-of-game guy. It's just not going to be in the way that you're used to seeing it with Jimmy. So, I'm, I was super not into the Sixers a week ago, and I'm back. <laughs> Trains, you look pretty excited about it, too. <laughs> I got nothing to add to this one. I'm glad you guys are excited. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm excited. I think they've made... You did. You said you were excited about the news, I thought. I think they they certainly made steps in the right direction, okay. that's for sure. Yes, yeah. I agreed. I'm, I'm stoked about Doc. I love Doc. Yeah, I, I mean, Maury, Maury undid everything that was done last year in Horford and Richardson in a day. And they were like two of the biggest pain spots for the team. So it's. If they got rid of Tobias Harris and had a Jimmy Butler esque person, like the person that gets the ball, which by the way, every championship team has like a guy that gets the ball and you know, they're going to close out the game whether it be Jimmy, whether it be LeBron, whether it be Seth, like, or Steph, like, there's a guy. We don't have that guy. We do, but he can only, like, drive the basket. Um, and then just get some people on the bench that can actually play. And then, then, yeah, I'll, then so I'll be that's, happy. That's a good point. Um, free agency Nerlens Noel, who played for the Sixers in process years and was traded, I think he was in OKC most recently, um, has improved dramatically and could be a super, super solid backup for Joe. And there's a lot of talk on Twitter. And I don't know if it's mostly the people I follow on Twitter just trying to speak it into existence or if it's likely, but that would be huge. I mean, somebody who could legitimately spell Joel, which they tried to make Horford and it just didn't work. Um so if, if you add that to the mix and Harden doesn't go to Brooklyn, <laughs> it could be a fun year. If Harden's in Brooklyn, I mean, shit might as well not even happen. So uh, summing up, Sixers trending green. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Eagles are probably a maybe a flashing red at worst, if not 
A yellow? Like I would use the term rebuild time. Okay, so yeah. hard, oh, hard red. Oh, okay. oh, it's rebuild time. Okay, okay. blow it Phil- up. Phillies are probably like a, a what a, a the yellow. Phillies are spiraling out of control. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they're red. Flyers, I think, are a, green. Are a mild green. Yeah. Okay. So I think we'll that, take two that's out my four. assessment. Yeah. Like the Phillies, not to belabor Philly sports, but they signed Bryce Harper, like one of the best players in baseball. And they've like done nothing else since. Like they just, oh, we'll put Bryce on the team and we'll win. Like they're not, they're going to let JT Rio Muto walk. Like they have no idea what they're doing. The Phillies have no idea what they're doing. So, and I don't know any of the people's names. Whoever was the GM of the Cubs and Epstein, I think that's his last name, who apparently had a lot of success. He was there when he built the Cubs team that won the World Series and then he built the Red Red Sox. Sox team that. One there. That's Theo, right? Theo. So there's talk that he's potentially being suited by the Phillies. That could maybe. He defeated Boston's curse. Yeah. And he defeated Chicago's curse. <laughs> now, yeah, the, I'll take them. Uh, they're not in a curse. Like, not to the extent that those no, 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 but hurt he, were. Yeah. But that could be. Dude, it's front office. Yeah. How he's got to go. Yeah. Agreed. Coach's corner. There is no vaccine against these investing mistakes. James McIntosh from Wall Street Journal. Uh, The broad explanation for pharma and biotech companies underperforming the rest of the U.S. stock market is that a vaccine is better for the rest of the world than for the maker of the vaccine. James' article discusses a couple of reasons pharmaceutical stocks may not be great investments despite their likely uh, life-changing work or the company's life-changing work to bring us a COVID-19 vaccine. Let's take us us out, Mike. Well, I mean, there's a lot to this because it's a it's a subject that goes way beyond just the vaccine one. And that is. It's one of the most common. Misconceptions or just sort of, you know, illusions that people have when they see something that's an invention that's exciting and that's impactful. It automatically must mean that the stock is a great investment. And it's almost the opposite. I mean, so the article talks about how obviously we have this big news on on Pfizer and Moderna and others with what look to be really game changing vaccines that are that are probably imminent. But yet the the performance—if you'd have bought the stock, you'd be underwater or certainly yeah. underperforming like a broad market. And you know, people, lots of people are like, "What? You know?" And then you just have to like remember that the economics of the product or the invention or the thing is most important, not, not the impact it maybe has on society. Like aviation is maybe the best example of all time. I read, and I think this is true, that in the history of aviation since the Wright brothers, collectively the, the airline industry, the aviation industry has lost money in total, cumulatively, lost money for investors, for owners. But what it's done for society and for business and for commerce and you know you can't even calculate it. So some of the most important products and inventions are by 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 far best for consumers and people at large, not the owners of the company or the investors in the company. It's a perfect example. And some of the reasons why a vaccine wouldn't translate into the stock doubling is because, well, clearly it's not like a monopoly. There's multiple Uh, pharma companies that are coming out with really successful results so far. So that means that there's probably a, 
Um, not a winner take all situation. Secondly, they're not going to be able to charge a thousand bucks a dose. Right. You right. know, it comes back to economics. Um, and, and obviously there's just so many other moving parts that, um, it would make sense when you peel back the onion and look at the situation that, yeah, that's, you know, buying Pfizer on January 1st of this year, had you known what was going to unfold would have been the wrong move. But how so, many investors would have made that? And how many investors sure. connect that and understand why that would be the case? I think, uh, weed stocks are the same, same situation, you know, deregulation of, of, um, cannabis, huge potential market, huge amount of money at stake. Guess what? Unlimited supply. Anybody can grow it. Anybody can jump in the game. Competition is like off the charts. So, um, the financial, um, rewards are, are dispersed and they're at the end of the day, like net negative for yeah. the industry. So that's my take. No, no I, I think I'm just relating back to, you know, clients come in all the time yes. and they talk about this this invention or this idea or this innovation or some great new product that they've heard about or know about. And let's buy this stock. And you, you kind of have to talk to them about this. Like great businesses and great products do not equal great investments. So does this correlate at all to, you know, a common theme we've been hearing for the past weeks or months is that like, Oh man, once we get a vaccine, the market's just going to take off. Does this correlate to that? Or is that different because a vaccine happening creates other opportunity where people can go back to work and restaurants can reopen and people can go to the gym? Or is there um, any correlation to that? Well, I think the correlation just is basically that the market already knows this. The market is already well aware and has been for a long time. And when I say the market, I mean collectively the price of everything knows that a vaccine was this isn't surprising i guess maybe the the efficacy of the trials sure. was surprising and that's why the market popped temporarily but the market said has been roaring since the lows in the spring because of the progress that was obvious to anyone that was involved in it that there was going to be a vaccine or multiple ones and Therefore, COVID and the impact was going to be somewhat temporary, as devastating as it is. And that's all that matters. And so for people that wonder why the market is where it is, um, it's kind of like all the information that's out there is, is as bad as a lot of it is. The good of it is, is that hopefully 12 months from now, if not sooner, things will be very, very much back to on the right track. And um, unless something derails that big time, then prices reflect reality yeah i just think this it becomes one of those events that we look back on and we forget like how impactful it was in it right like it's just it's time it's it's how we as humans i guess kind of progress through any like serious life-changing impactful thing i mean this is going to be a market move that happened and that we're going to be telling our clients when the next one, do you remember COVID-19? Like, do you remember how you felt in that moment? Do you remember how you wanted to buy Pfizer stock and how, like, despite the fact that they were the company that came up with a vaccine that literally got us back to normal, it didn't change your life? I mean, these are the examples that for us are so important to remember because our clients won't. Right. Like they they go about their daily and they shouldn't. I mean, if we weren't in it, I would argue that we didn't need to like remember that. But like being able to recall how it felt those March lows and how the uncertainty of 
will would there be a vaccine? Like all of those things I think are really important for us in our roles to be able to reassure that the next thing that comes down the pike, which inevitably will happen, um, you know, there will be a way to get through that too. Yeah. And then just to add to that, I think the, the tendency for people to project what's happening in the short term to what yeah. is going to happen in the long term is so human nature and it's um, in what it is, but it's so 100% wrong. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that, it's hard to remember and keep in perspective, whether it's Brexit or COVID or, I mean, keep, or the election, I keep going down the list of all the things that are in the short term that seem like they're going to be devastating with long lasting impacts. And, you know, that trend is going to continue, whether it's going down or whatever. And it's all noise in the short term. And um, the long term keeps marching on. And it's just going to be the next thing that, as you said, Meg, that's going to pop up and it's going to create chaos and frenzy around that so yeah because if it's not COVID, it's like well it's di- you know this one is different yeah like when you mentioned like when you just said it's good for us to because we're going to we're going to remember this we're going to say to our clients do you remember COVID 19 the immediate thing that popped in my head is they're going to say yeah but this is different and it's like i think back to the internet collapse the internet bubble bursting in 2000 and 2001 and the mortgage crisis in 07 08 like those were so massive and emotional times, I don't even like have any emotion around them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know if it's that far removed for me, it's way in the rear view for like the average investor, mm-hmm. um, which makes that so hard because I never thought of it the way you just said it, Meg, is like, they shouldn't be thinking about this. We are. We think about it all the time. It's so fresh in our minds. Um, like as much as I just said, like, I don't remember much about, oh, I, I do. I mean, I remember like battling, having calls with clients, like really trying to keep them in it. Um, like I remember that emotional part of it. And yeah, you're right. They, they, they shouldn't remember it. They should just, that's what they hired us for is to just go about their day and allow them to freak out when they want to freak out and be able to help them not freak out. Um, I love it when like we get off a call or, or come out of a meeting and it's always like, you know, all I wanted to do was like feel better when I left here and like, I do. He made me feel better. And it's like, I didn't say anything different to you that I said to the person 10 minutes right. ago. They don't know that. But, but they don't know that, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so kind of over, like, why is the market, like, like hearing that it's going to, you know, once we get a vaccine, it's going to come, come roaring back. And like, why isn't it down more because of COVID? Like, I'm tired of us trying to like, not us, but the world trying to pinpoint, um, the reason for it going up or down on a day-to-day basis. And the other thing is too, like just getting back to Pfizer and the vaccine thing, just to, you know, complete the point on that scenario, like what the market values in terms of prices of stocks and valuation is recurring revenue stuff that will continue over and over and over again. Um, This is not that this is like a one and done that may not deliver much in the way of added value to the company in the end at all it might even be like a cost a loss right <laughs> um, right yeah. just in the terms of distribution yeah. and things like that that was the first thing i thought of was just pharmaceutical companies generally like how they make their money right is people staying on and continuing medicine mm-hmm. like the idea behind a vaccine is like that's not how it works right i mean i guess the flu shot being a little bit of an exception but like generally 
you're presenting something that hopefully isn't something you have to do every year. Um, or maybe it is just once a year and not, you know, like the the pill regimen you may or may not be on. Um, so to me, it was just like, that's obvious. Like it is, it will be world changing. Like and yeah. that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't clearly reflect in performance of the stock. And, and the reason that I'm just going to use the stupid example that Zoom is up 5,000 million percent this year <laughs> is because the world recognizes that this is a subscription that people will pay every year now yeah. to do vi virtual conferences meetings long after covid's yeah. Yeah. Uh, no longer a threat so I'm, i was a little disappointed with how much i heard what you mentioned earlier mike like um it was unexpected that they we were able to turn around a vaccine this quickly and i understand the scientific end of it like you have to have someone who has it. They have to incubate. Like there's there's time periods where the testing has to take place over. Sure. But to think that we're not going to find a vaccine like the fastest we ever have in a world that's so much more connected now, where scientists in China are collaborating with scientists in the United States and in Mexico and like all over the world. Like to think that we wouldn't find the the cocktail that like is successful quickly, like. No, duh. Of course, like we're going to, this is the fastest we're going to cure something. Number one, because we're connected. We're smarter than we ever have been. And there's like a, a major need for it. Whenever your back's against a wall, like you do your best work. Like why was it surprising that we, we turned one around this fast? I completely agree. But I think you have, and we have maybe collectively, like a very optimistic view of things generally. Like, when things are as shitty as they were in March and the headlines were just awful, people were dying, hospitals were overflowing, like they're using trucks as more, like yeah. for people who don't have the ability to maybe take a step back emotionally and recognize that like this is a scenario in which people, the smartest, most intelligent, most connected people are gonna do their best work, it doesn't feel like that's even possible. Yeah. And there's people who can't get there mentally and emotionally, who just live in this space of uber, uber negativity and this is it. And unfortunately, while I don't think we engage with a lot of people who feel or think that way, a lot of them exist. Yeah. And, you know, I, I completely agree. And I think we're also of a, you know, of a kind of demo that wasn't, luckily, you know, dramatically impacted by the virus health-wise or otherwise. So I think that also allows you to remove yourself. But when you have people close to you who are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, I think that also puts you in it yeah. more. And the re the removal, removing for yourself from that is just difficult, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but I, I, I totally agree, Jeff. Like, it was... Ne there was never a doubt. Never a doubt. Um, and this is probably another subject for another pod, but, you know, Morgan Housel writes a ton about all this kind of stuff where out of World War II or COVID or, you know, major, major negative events and tragic events, um, unbelievable progress gets made yeah. and inventions that happen that never would have otherwise. And Jeff, to your point, like, there's a really good chance that we'll have incredible progress in, in medicine on all fronts yeah. as a result of the, you know, the mobilization and what happened, the coordination that happened here. And that's obviously a huge positive if it, if it yeah. comes to bear. So, 
how to set goals that actually work. Um, this was a blog post on Rad Reads. I couldn't even find an art, uh, author. I think what I want to talk about or what we want to talk about is goal setting a bit more generally. So it's a exercise that we use with nearly every client we have. Um, but I think we all feel differently about the process and, you know, its effectiveness. So let's let's maybe start there. So I kind of fall into the camp of, I think, goal setting is positive and a worthwhile exercise. Um, I think there's a lot of poorly done goal setting. And I think the way most people handle goal setting is bad. Uh, but I think if it's done the right way, then it's it's generally a, a pretty positive experience. What's a bad way to do it? Um, like, I want to start working out. And then they try to work out. Like, someone who doesn't work out at all tries to, like, go balls to the wall week one and ends up tearing an ACL or throwing their back out. And, like, the goal of, like, getting in shape, like, that's that's terrible. Like, this article talked about, like, just do a burpee. Or just do two. Or like like me getting back into this like whole workout regimen. Like I said to my like trainer, I'm like, when do I start pull-ups? He's like, you're going to do like one. And I'm like, like get myself to the top and lower. He's like, no, just do one pull-up before you do any more. Um, but the way I feel goal setting is done well is you set your goals. All the same bullshit that this article talks about, which is like make them attainable. Like don't set them too high. Don't set them too low. Like, just know how to set the appropriate goal. And then if you don't reach it, looking back at the progress you made trying to reach that goal. And that's it. Like, Because I think trying to reach a goal is going to lead to a ton of wins along the way. And I think most people, if they don't get that exact goal, it's a failure. And that's crushing. Where it's like, if I want to read a 300-page book in the next month, there's a really good chance I'm going to read a hundred pages in the next three months. And I'll look at that and go, all right, I read a hundred pages in three months. It's more than I've, I would typically read. So I, I would call it a win. So that's, that's my idea of like the right way to do it, Mike. Okay. Makes sense. Um, I think on the subject of goal setting, it's a little bit weird because we do a lot of this with clients and, and it's, you know, it's productive and it's worthwhile and it's very important in its place, I think I would say, because I think that people can take it too far um, and make everything about that specific goal. And the criticism of goal setting, I, I totally get it and I see it and I kind of agree with it, is that you're constantly failing until you reach that goal. You're if, you, if you're trying to yeah. lose 10 pounds and until you lose those 10 pounds, you failed every single day. But then when you get there, then what? You know, then what? Now you feel... Like your sense of purpose is gone and now you have to figure out something else. And I mean, that was one example. Um, I like the idea of, and I think it was O'Shaughnessy who wrote a great blog post called Growth Without Goals, mm -hmm. where he talks about habits, daily habits, as being way more important or productive to do than like a goal at some point in the future that you're trying to get to. And if you if you can identify those daily habits or those actions or those things that are you know growing you or whatever the whatever the case may be and it's it's along a, a spectrum of different things whether it's physical personal finance i don't know whatever um to him anyway he's arguing it's way more fulfilling and just 
healthy. And I get it. It makes sense. Um, when it comes to business, I, I well, so I worked at Vanguard in the early day, long time ago, um, under a different management regime. And I know that like at a lot of companies, they have sales targets, they have revenue targets, they have growth targets, and they're hard and fast numbers. And they manage themselves in the business to try to achieve that that target. And that's how most companies operate. And back in the day at Vanguard, there were no targets. It was basically like take care of the customer of the client every single day and all that will come yeah. all that will come and it did in spades yeah um O'Shaughnessy writes about jeff bezos at amazon he did a similar thing like relentless focus on the customer we don't have targets you just you just fall over yourselves to take care of them and you're going to kill it and it, and it's like that all happens if you do those things every day that are are the the habits i'll say that are going to get you to the to the goals that you you ultimately are going to achieve but you don't you don't start with the goal at some point in the future and then just bust your ass every day to try to do whatever you have to do to get there whether it's losing weight or um or, or a business goal so i guess i come at it a little bit differently from that from that perspective i mean that's spot on i mean if you're in any kind of client service model just do right by your clients and and do everything to make them happy because then you'll retain your clients and they'll refer people to you and you'll hit every sales goal that you can ever put on a board. And I, I'm with you 100% on, on your angle of it. Like uh, my neighbor is a, new, is a registered dietitian and she talks about like it drives her crazy when people are like, I'm like cutting out carbs for the next 30 days. Mm -hmm. And she's like, that is the dumbest thing you can even like. Because if you're going to go out to dinner with your husband and you want to eat a roll, eat a freaking roll. And, and if you... Right. You're going to feel horrible if you don't eat it. You're going to feel horrible if you do. And her point was, in when the 30 days is up, you're just going to go back that to one. eating yeah. every carb you can see and all the all the progress. you. So it's more about, you know what? I don't want to eat seven loaves of bread a day. I'm going to change my habit and just yeah. eat less carbs. Yeah. And like that's that should be your ultimate goal. So I think I'm with you, man. I think people misinterpret like what the goal should be and then what like how you get there. It, it, if you do that well, I think goals are, are very good to set. And I, I, but I think there's such a self-awareness that's required to be, to be able to recognize how you not only set, but work towards goals. Cause there are a lot of people who need that carrot, right? Who just, who need something that, that, that is attainable. And then there are a lot of people who don't like personally for me, it's, I've never been somebody who expects to like, change things dramatically you know with the drop of the hat like like there's a recognition that if i want to do something differently i just start doing it differently yeah. and like there's there's a discipline that comes with that and there are a lot of people who aren't disciplined so i understand conceptually especially when you think about things like um you know your your physical fitness or your even like growing a business like there's there's so many outlets of people telling you how to do things Right, that it it must be feel overwhelming to to see other people having success and want to you know like follow the way they did it, but like no two paths to any of those goals are ever going to be the same. Yeah, and like the goal could literally be anything. Um, so I think I, I I think I'm very much in the middle. Um, I love the conversation we have about have with our clients about their goals. I think it is incredibly important. And 
I think for our job to be able to provide really good advice and to constantly have their words serving as the benchmark is invaluable. Personally, for me, <laughs> I don't know how much I enjoy that exercise. Like if someone did ask the goal, ba- like the goal question to me, I don't think I'd have very good answers for it. But that's just never really been the way I've approached anything is by, oh, Meg, by this time you're going to be X, Y, or Z. It's just, I, I've never done it that way. I agree with you. And that's why I sort of said it's personal. Like yeah. somebody, I'm not sure if it was this article or another one, but they were critical of the standard interview question, which is, where do you see yourself yeah. in five yeah. years? I hate that and, and it is a really, I guess for some people it's great. It's right in their wheelhouse because they can articulate exactly what they, where they see themselves in five years. But it is kind of a stupid question mm-hmm. to me personally. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the answer is certainly unknown, and I think it's okay that it's unknown. I think that there's there's things that you want to try to, you know, experience and do. Like in, in professional life, certain people also have like, I want to have an income of X, and then by by the time I'm whatever years old, and again, I guess maybe that works for some people, but I don't I don't connect with that at all. I just don't at all. It's not. That's so um, out of your hands. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, so even, if, even, even yes. if you run your own business, it's still out of your hands. It could be a COVID year. And guess what? You're not going to make that 100000 that you wanted to make. But there are some other goals. Like, I want to have X amount in my kid's 529 plan. Like, that's like having that written down and revisiting it and like seeing it like in a notepad that I had somewhere. Like, got me to the point where eventually I was like, oh, dude, I got to open up that 529. And I, and it wasn't about I want there to be twenty grand in it in three years. It was just let me just get fifty bucks in it and just start the process. And then I look at it, and it's it's probably not at the goal that I wrote down, however many years ago. But there's money there, and and yeah. like that's a win to me. It's like all right, that was a goal, and I did it. I didn't maybe hit it exactly how I wanted to hit it, but it's still a goal that I achieved. Good stuff. All right, <laughs> all right. The Atlantic. Right, get ready to strap yourself in for a few hours to read this article. Why I hope to die at 75. This is in the Atlantic. Um, Written by Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel back in 2014, Why I Hope I Die at 75 is a very thoughtful piece about longevity and truly living as we age. Considering individual factors like physical condition and mental awareness in addition to statistics about quality of life, Dr. Emanuel articulates why at age 75 his approach to living will change. The reason I put it in here was I think about the conversations that we have with clients often, right? About, you know, we have to plan for you to live to your 90, 95, 100 because people are living longer. We're better off than our previous generations. We have access to blah, blah, blah. Like that same all the, shit. All the bullshit we trained That I on. say and <laughs> that, I, that I've said 100,000 times. But then in this article – he talks about like what that quality of life will really look like. And while I'm not disagreeing in the way that we plan, right. And that, you know, financially, if you're going to be here, you have to be able to be here. But I guess I'm just curious, like, have you guys ever thought about, we all kind of think we're going to live forever, but like, it's, it's not going to be in the way that you exist today. And I just think it's an interesting topic because people are all over the map in that they're completely, ignoring the fact that you age, right? And that things change, that your body physically and mentally deteriorates. Um, But then there are other people who are so incredibly accepting of it 
that they're almost, you know, the opposite and that they have very little regard for their physical and mental well-being. And I know those are probably the extremes, but I just think it's interesting, especially in our business, um, dealing with people who ultimately age. Yeah, I think I thought it's in, it was interesting. I'll read one sentence here that's really it's pretty obvious, but it's kind of interesting. Like, because we do talk about okay, life expectancy. It's it's longer. You got to prepare for this. And he says, you know, over the past fifty years, healthcare hasn't slowed the aging process so much right. as it's slowed the dying process. Um, you know, contemporary dying process has been lengthened. It usually results from complications of chronic illness, like heart disease, emphysema, stroke, Alzheimer's, like all horrible things to live with over a long period of time. And basically the point is like for, for other than the outliers that are like 86 and like running around and, and are in great condition and doing lots of active things, that's rare. Mm -hmm. Usually you're like miserable physically Mm -hmm. and maybe even mentally and emotionally. And it's, it's no fun for, for a lot of a lot of those people and this guy's point is like i'm out when i'm 75 meaning not that i'm gonna like cavork euthanize myself right <laughs> uh, but i'm no longer getting like um checkups for this i'm uh-huh. not gonna accept you know medications for that and you know i live my life yeah. at up to 75 yeah i thought it was interesting i i kind of fall in i don't think i'm, I'm first of all i'm a pretty amazed at how much paper is around Mike right now. Like the <laughs> amount of paperwork that articles. Do my homework. <laughs> um, I look around here where we live and where we exist and 75 isn't like old to me. Like I know and I see a lot of 75 year olds that are like active. So I think like I maybe retitle this article for me and say I want to die when I'm 85. Like I just think I'm still going to have a very, hopefully a very productive life from 75 to 85, still active, still traveling, still enjoying my grandkids and like having a good time. I think that's fair. And and I don't like his line in the sand is, is his right. Right. And, and I think that's, that's maybe not as much the point as it's a recognition that at, at some point I'm going to accept the fact that like, there's nothing more I can do that's going to change the outcome of what my life expectancy is short of like not being not base jumping or you know whatever taking like unnecessary risks so i mean i guess i mean i'm 31 so like 75 is a long shit i'll take that yeah and 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 to me it's i mean i automatically like i immediately thought of my parents and i was like oh my god that's like 15 years for my dad like that's not that far away but I think of my dad as the 40-year-old, not the 60-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's what what I took from this is like how we think of time and the people in our lives who are important to us and who we want to be around. Like they will forever, at least maybe not forever, but for a long, for a long time, be a certain age always. So aging is, it's weird. It's hard to like wrap your brain around because- for my entire life, my grandmother has been the oldest person I've known. And she's always been old. Right. Like, as long as I've ha- been able to recognize what old is, she has been that. But, like, when my dad gets old, when my mom gets old, that's going to be f- weird. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. Because, I, I mean, I'm, I've no, I've noticed it, like, in my parents. 
like not that they look old, but like I know they look older. Mm-hmm. And I start to see some stuff in my mom and my dad that I saw in their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, conceptually, I agree with this guy because I, I mean, you're going to get to an age where it's like you're done. Like I have, unfortunately, I have a lot of conversations with clients that are like in their mid to late 80s, early 90s, and they're like, dude, like I'm done. Like, I'm ready to go. I've traveled. I've lived my life. I can't travel anymore. I don't want to. Like, it's too hard to exist. Yeah. I don't want to make new friends. My kids are making me move somewhere else because I can't live in my house. Like, well, then I'm I'm, I'm done. I'm tapped out. And you're not going to live like you're 40 years old and then all of a sudden wake up one day and be like, oh, my God, I'm 95. It's time to go. Like, no. Yeah. But there is a certain period of time where we're like, I still feel and act like I'm 18. And like, I don't feel like I'm much different than I was when I was like 21. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, like that me personally, like I know like shit hurts a little bit more. <laughs> like my knees crack a little bit more when I'm doing exercises, but like from like certainly more mature than I was when I was 21. But, <laughs> uh, but definitely like I, I, I still like rap music. I still like watching stupid goofy comedies. Like I still like playing video games. I still like doing shit I did when I was a kid. And that makes me, actually makes me continue to feel young. Yeah. Um, I think once you stop doing that stuff or once you think like, you know what, I'm 41 now, so I should be talking about politics with my friends. And like, then you're going to get old, man. And you're going to feel old. And you're going to want to like check out. But as long as you're still running around and trying to be active and trying to, yep, you're not going to enjoy the things you maybe used to because you can't, but maybe go into your kid's your grandkids hockey games and watching them play is going to like keep you young, man. And want to continue to do that stuff. It's one you, it's once you start like losing all the people and it's like just you on an Island somewhere. Yeah. When I get like that, then I'll be ready to check out whatever age that, that becomes. Yeah. The other thing he talked about in here, which I don't know how I feel about this. It's very, it's actually pretty depressing. He talks about like the impact of, older parents on their kids and their kids at this point, let's assume they're middle-aged themselves and the, you know, they've got kids and they're in the prime of their working years and stuff. And he's like saying, um, parents also cast a big shadow for most children. Uh, it can be wonderful, but it can be annoying, can be destructive and it's inescapable as long as the parents are alive. (laughs) Um, so his point is like, until the parents die, there's this like albatross over top of the kids in in their parents, which is like not necessarily a good thing. I don't not relate sure. To, I, I don't agree. Re- yeah, that. I don't relate to that at all. Man. Yeah, I, I kind of lost me when he was talking about that. Doesn't I mean, sound like he really liked his parents very much. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, and and then of course there's a caretaking aspect of it for yeah. a lot of them, yeah. which which creates obviously like a host of problems potentially, but. His point is like, once you leave the the planet, your kids can now like be the be heads free. of the yeah, whatever, the heads of the yeah. Family that's or that that's that poor family dynamics right there. Uh, I you know? yeah. agree. Yeah, and and I think too that like him, he's from a generation where the expectation specifically around caretaking was that your family was your caretakers, like. You have kids so someone can take care of you when you're old. Not because you even want kids or love your kids, but so that there's somebody to be around you when you die. And I think that that has changed. I mean, I know a lot of the people we engage with, I know my parents specifically, like 
if there's any goals that they have, it's that they're not a burden on their children and that, mm-hmm. you know, there's no expectation f- physically, financially or otherwise that like the kids, you know, are on the hook for that. And I think that's um, that will help in whatever end of life scenario there is, hopefully, <laughs> Um, that, you know, you don't feel like your parents have to die for you to be like whatever the best version of yourself. Um, yeah, I'm it, with you. Yeah, no, I think it's more appropriate to be the parent that's like happy that your kid is now successful or children are now successful and they're hosting Christmas or Thanksgiving because they have the bigger house now and you've yeah. decided to downsize and you can just, just sit back, and show up with it. your pecan pie and just smile yeah. and you don't have to take care of anything because they're running around like crazy people. Like that's... I think you just have to like segment your, segment your life and like real like there's certain stuff that you enjoy in certain segments, right? When you have little babies, like it's awesome to have little babies. I want nothing to do with little babies now. <laughs> you know, I want I like enjoying like going out with my wife and like helping support my kids. And then there's gonna be another segment where I'm like anxious for my kids to get married and have kids and be a grandfather. Like, yeah, sorry, I'm ranting. Mm. No, all good. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Emmanuel. I don't think we hated Zeke. No. No, I think it was mostly genuinely like end of life and death have always just been, I don't know if scary is the right word, but obviously it's like the most unknown thing on the planet because you're never going to talk to somebody who's been there. So there's there's all of this in my brain at least. Like what will I feel like at 75? Yeah, I think it's his, it's thoroughly unenjoyable for a lot of people yes. physically and mentally yes. in, in those in. For a long time, so. And the older I get, the less I want. Like, I think as an 18-year-old, right, you think you're going to live forever and you want to. And now I'm like, you know what? If I get to Social Security, I'm I'm (laughs) good. That's a win. (laughs) I can make it to 78 when it's like I qualify for Social Security. All right. Top five short people. I hope we don't offend anybody. Top five short people in history. Top five, like, favorite short people or just short people? Your top five best <laughs> favorite. They're not my favorite. They're just, like... Right, because, like, my favorite short person would be my niece. But, like, <laughs> right. she's short because she's five. Yeah, it's not her fault. She's so tiny right now. <laughs> okay. All right, go ahead, Jeff. You got yours uh, teed up, it looks like. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to put them in an order. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'll lead with kind of my most profound one i'd say ariana grande okay like she is a badass right now in the world and she's five one like is she's, that all she is she's tiny she just wears heels you would yeah, never you would know, never she know wears those... unless you watch like sam and cat which i did not right right uh so ariana grande c- coming in at a five one uh <laughs> i don't, have heights, I don't either yeah prince Prince. Wow. I had Prince. Christian texted me. I had him. Um, and I didn't do dude, it. Dude, he was 5'2. Yeah. He was tiny. Okay, so just to put this out there, average height for females is 5'5. Five, five, yeah, I was going to say 5'4. And five, dudes is like 5'7, five, 5'8. Five, yeah, uh, that's probably fair. Is, is it? I think it's short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, whatever. Um, uh, Prince is solidly under yeah, the yeah, average. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, he's yeah. under average. Under, uh, yeah, below average. Uh, I couldn't keep this guy off my list. <laughs> Gary Coleman. <laughs> oh my God, was he on yours yes, too? Yes, of course he was. I don't think it. Which oh, which about Willis? Oh, oh. I mean, the what you talk about Willis? Like it's he's the old. He's probably my number he? one. My last two may be a little suspect. Uh, <laughs> 
Alf. You probably remember Alf, I right? remember Alf. Alien, I mean, I never watched it, but of course I know Alf. Alien life form. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he was like one of the funniest characters of all time. Yeah. And then my, I rounded out my top five with any of the minions from any of the Despicable Me shows because they were just hysterical. Oh, my God. All right, you so, lied to us then. You said you didn't have any. I added them later. I had yeah, to pick up you a took fit. a couple of mine, so I have to go to my bench. I'm sorry, dude. Um, I've got Peter Dinklage. Is that yeah. his name? Yeah. Game oh, of Thrones. He's from Game of Thrones. I, th- I thought about putting him on my list. Yeah. I mean, he's the only thing I like about that show because he's great. But he was yeah. great in Elf. Oh yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I've got Bono on my list. That's a good one. Bono's short. He's like five six, maybe. Mm-hmm. And just the body of work is pretty impressive. It speaks for itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have. I got Ben Stiller. Oh, that's a good one, man. Because I just am a huge fan. He's, yeah. I, we talked yeah, about him before. I have because I just am <laughs> so impressed with that guy. Yeah, and um, I, I'm, he's on my list. And then Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie, Flutie Flakes. Doug Flutie. Was he short? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he was a below average for a male, but below average for, for his vocation. Yeah. Yeah, we'll take it. And uh, my my last one is uh, Danny DeVito. You can't. You can't leave him off this it's list. tough to, it's tough to leave him off that list yeah i have him too yeah. he's the only overlap though okay so i have danny devito i have bruno mars oh good one oh, that's a good one yeah he's like five five or five yeah, six he's tiny yeah he is like a very small stature as well yeah um Muggsy Bogues, which we talked about earlier. Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> Guys, he was like 5'4 or well, something. What's Spud Webb? I think Muggsy was shorter. Oh, okay. Yeah, was I Muggsy think... ever in the dunk contest at the All-Star game? I don't think Probably so. Probably not. Spud Webb was. I know he was. We used to watch that VHS. <laughs> Marv Albert. Um, Marv Albert. Uh, have you guys ever seen Jersey Shore? Yeah. Snooky. Snooky. Yeah. <laughs> she is miniature. She is legit miniature. <laughs> And then Simone Biles. Oh, she's like she, the I most decorated her. gymnast of all time. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, like yeah. super small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought about her, especially because I saw her in a commercial last night on Hulu. Um, <laughs> Was it from Is two that weeks a sponsor? ago? <laughs> it could have been. Did you sign them as a sponsor? For a pot? <laughs> um, you know what makes me happy? That what? Tom Cruise didn't land on any of our lists because oh. I hate that guy. And he's tiny. Yeah, I don't like him either. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't make no, that noise. No, Thank no. you. Appreciate that. <laughs> right. Until next time. Later. Thanks for listening. <laughs>